0: This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, my name is Ashim Gupta. I am the CFO of UiPath, and you are listening to the podcast CFO Thought Leader. This is episode 647.
1: to clients, we had quite a lot of clients who said, I don't want all this information telling us where you've spent all the hours. I just want to know what you've delivered. Uh, I want deliverables, outputs, outcomes. I don't want to know where you spent all the time. Uh, And I think the, one of the learnings for us also was to look at every office and strike higher minimum pricing so you know what's your get out of bed price Um, and look really hard at things around that and say actually no we're not going to operate at that level because the fixed cost of entry is, is too much
0: Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak with Adrian Tolbut, CFO of Hotwire, a global communications consultancy. Once upon a time, Adrian Tolbut was an auditor, and not unlike many of his peers, he had ambitions to climb the corporate finance career ladder. Ambitions he would realize at companies such as Hilton, United Business Media. What skill sets set him apart from the other candidates and swung open the door to those companies? The English-speaking Talbot also speaks German, giving him an edge over some of his numbers-minded peers. He shares this and much more after this. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does your need to adapt, your need to evolve, your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, visit us at Workday.com. Hello, we're speaking with Adrian Tolbot, CFO
1: of Hotwire. Adrian, welcome. Jack, thank you. Delighted to be here.
0: Adrian, we're going to begin, of uh, course, where we always do, by asking you to look back for us and sharing with us those experiences you feel
1: prepared you for a finance leadership role. What comes to mind for you? There's probably three things, Jack, and I've, ref- I've been reflecting on this. Um, I've spent let's just give you the three up front um the global nature of my career to date the diverse roles and the places i have worked and my knowledge of the german language um, which i'll come to third uh globally i've spent maybe two-thirds of my career in global roles and i uh, i did a degree in mathematics at imperial college in london and then worked for bdo in London, and it was really towards the end of my time there that fortuitously—well, not for the person it happened to—the lead auditor on something called Thames Television, a major broadcaster in London, became sick, and I was parachuted in for two years on that client, which gave me an early taste of media. And um, and then when I uh, at the end of the sort of early nineties, it was quite fashionable to leave the an accountancy firm and become an internal auditor. I think these roles have now disappeared or they've all been outsourced to Deloitte or so on, but I spent um, six very happy years um, in three internal audit roles. I started with London Transport, which obviously restricted me to London, but gave me a very um, good grounding in the fundamentals of being an internal auditor. Uh, But then the formative years really were Uh, two years when I joined Hilton International. So I traveled the world visiting Hilton hotels in many, many locations, Um, exotic, -exotic, non-exotic, but um, auditing hotels around the world. And when that experience came to an end, I joined United Business Media uh, towards the end of the nineties and United had very diverse media assets across television, newspapers. Uh, I think there were 10 different business units when I joined there. But those five years of auditing, you know, when you have chased the financial controller of the Caracas Hilton around the airport with a sheet of accruals, when the general manager of the Nairobi Hilton has screamed at you for telling him he's made a mess of a CapEx project, when you have um, stayed in hotels and tried to pay cash for a week and see what you could get away with. And um, it's quite character building. And, um, you know, I think I've calculated... I've been to over 20 countries where I have spent at least two to three weeks in each of those, always representing the parent company. And my time at United Business Media in particular, I was head of internal audit or acting internal of audit for my final year there through the millennium. And that was a very empowered audit function, meeting with the chief executive. And that was my early exposure to the USA. Uh, United had a lot of assets in, in America, so traveled there quite a bit so the global part um was very important and when i joined hotwire for example i'd already worked or visited in nearly every city where hotwire had an office through my career and the sort of diversity of background i have worked in publicly owned um so wpp and publicists i have worked in privately owned i helped sell an agency to private equity so and i spent a year in advertising at bartle bogle hegarty in london so again and, and then i've spent sort of now 17 years in public relations and and so when I came to Hotwire I was quite global first of all with a very diverse background and then the third thing really was German so you know I spent a lot of time in my teens pacing my bedroom floor learning German vocabulary and grammar and I'm quite sure that knowledge has helped me get at least three jobs through my career uh, certainly at Hilton certainly at United Business Media and certainly at Hotwire and I have used German I can confidently travel to Germany and take part in a client event. It's a major economy. So those mix of global, diverse and German, quite an odd mix, but I think it made me quite attractive to Hotwire.
0: Well, thank you, uh, Adrian. That's a very a comprehensive overview for sure. And we want to uh, ask you a few more career questions, probably during our mentoring round today. But right now, let's find out about Hotwire. What type of company is this and what are its offerings today? Sure. Well,
1: Hotwire, we're, we're global communicators. Our agency helps brands better engage and connect with their customers. Uh, the agency is 20 years old and started out into, we're having our 20th anniversary this year. Started out in London in the year 2000 and quickly went into Paris, Germany, Italy, Spain, followed by Australia and Munich in Germany. And in the early days, Hotwire worked on clients such as BlackBerry, if you remember those, Jack. Um, And, um, you know, the, the heart of the business is technology. So we've got deep technology expertise, which remains to today. And the business today is um, we're in 11 offices. So we're East and West Coast US, as well as Minneapolis and Chicago. We're all across Europe. We're in Australia and we're about 300 people. And really the um, what we do is it's kind sort of quite data-driven and insights-led, but we help clients such as Zoom, Adobe, McAfee, and plenty of other clients you've never heard of with their communication plans, their strategic um, communication plans, internal and external. Uh, and we're in a very interesting, we're a challenger brand. So if you want to, if you don't want to use one of the big agencies and you want a right-sized agency with a good global footprint, with a technology expertise, that's our sweet spot.
0: Now, being part of the <laughs> the media world, uh, we're accustomed to Hotwire uh, bringing us uh, sometimes CFO guests, guests, um, and, and many of them actually are from mid sized firms and high, high growth firms, I would say. Is that part of the portfolio as well?
1: No, it's a great question, Jack. But if you saw the logos we're working with, I think you'd be suitably impressed. So, you know, for example, we we have been working with Zoom across the world um, in 20 plus countries, given the massive interest in their brand over the last six months. As I said, we work with Adobe and McAfee. And then we work with startups. So we actually work with a lot of fintech clients which is a very growing area for us. So anywhere that technology touches, either from a startup through to a well-established known brand, we can support clients along that entire journey. The other thing I'd say is that we're, in all of our offices, we're global and local. So if I took you on a visit to our Paris office, you would find local French clients. But you'd also find that office working on global clients. And that's one of our strengths that we can be, you can call it Glocal if you like, if you've ever heard of that expression. But we can, we, can, we can cover clients locally and globally quite easily.
0: I mentioned high growth firms uh, before because what I think is interesting is that so many firms today are going global at a much earlier stage than they had in the past. And I think it's clear uh, Hotwire and, and communications plays a, a key role there as they move into mo- new markets. Do I have that right? or?
1: Sure, Jack, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I've seen, I, I will tell you, I have seen plenty of um, founders or owners of fintech firms in their mid-20s who rapidly want a brand that is growing in one particular territory to be seen as global and will invest money much earlier than clients would have in the past, but they immediately want global impact. So they're expecting to suddenly have a campaign which which crosses the world. We can support clients at that startup phase as well as as, as much bigger ones.
0: You know, your path resembles that of a lot of other finance leaders that we've uh, chatted with. And that is that a large part of your career was spent in large enterprise organizations. Um, When you do step into a CFO role now, Hotwire is certainly a global company today, but it's it's a smaller company. Can can you tell us something about that transition and what you think that large enterprise experience brought to this new chapter?
1: Absolutely, Jack. I mean, yes, you're right. I spent 5 years within WPP at Persomosteller and I spent a year more in Publicis. I think it's very different kind of experience. So As a finance professional in some of those bigger organisations, you can spend a lot of your time filling out forms related to Sarbanes-Oxley. You can spend a lot of your time doing much more onerous reporting. And if you move into an agency the size of Hotwire, uh, you can find a lot more freedom in your role to really get stuck into the growth of the business it's more entrepreneurial you know hotwire is a nice mix our parent company is listed in australia but we are still quite entrepreneurial and i can tell you it just feels nothing like working in wpp or publicis which are great companies so The point is also that the things you learn in, you know, a mid-month flash report, which is WPP is obsessed about, at the time you're doing them, you think, why are we doing this? You then find yourself applying that in your own smaller entity, and then you begin to understand the power of it. So I think we actually find in Hotwire, remember, we're fast growing as well. So some of the, you want people with experience in that bigger entity enterprises to bring the learnings from there and apply it in this situation. And it also brings you a degree of confidence when you've seen some of these things done before and gives you a path that you know, you are on in terms of just improving control environments, how you report, but you want, you want to be away from that oppression of spending your whole life. ticking Well, boxes. and that's
0: a, a great segue to a question we always like to ask, which is upon your arrival, You know, you you step into this organization and, uh, you know, all that past experience. Do you reorganize finance? Do you determine that certain changes need to be made? And again, maybe you don't do it right away. Maybe it's not in your first 12 months, but you set a direction. Can you reflect a little on uh, what were some of the priorities you had upon your arrival?
1: That's fine, Jack. And it's interesting. I mean, when I was... Hotwire is an interesting company because it tends to creep up on candidates and clients. And I'd never heard of it when I started the recruitment process. And many clients don't. And then suddenly they realize, oh, you've got this global footprint. You've got all this going on. So when I first met Hotwire, you know, to your earlier point, I thought it was a little bit small compared to other roles I'd done. But during the process, they said, look, we really want to make an acquisition in the U.S., And that's going to be a very early priority. And I joined in February and met Barbara Bates, who's now my chief executive, for a coffee in New York in June. And then, famously, on my birthday, 3rd of August 2016, got on an airplane for a secret visit to Manhattan to meet all of Barbara's team for a chemistry session. And So quickly, my entire first six months was focused on that acquisition. And when we did that towards the end of that year, suddenly Hotwire was a much bigger organization. And it was all about aligning the systems, the processes, the cultures. And there was nothing wrong in the finance team when I joined Hotwire. Everything was in place. The journey in the early part was getting everything consistent, um, onboarding the new finance people in the US and going forward. And Hotwire, interestingly, was already using systems such as Salesforce. And today we're a very big Salesforce user. And so it was simply expanding that into the the entity we acquired um, and going forward, if that makes sense.
0: Yes, it does. And we always like to uh, discover how your lines of sight into the organization have grown or what are you looking to measure? Is there a business dynamic that you now want to study more closely and measure more regularly?
1: Well, I think our industry comes down to a few normal metrics. So revenue per head, you know, if you, if you give, me a, give me the size of an agency anywhere in the world, I'll roughly be able to guess its revenue, which tends to be quite consistent. Your staff cost ratio, um, you know, you, you, you keep a very close eye on that. Uh, around the world, and the bottom line margin, and we we don't have a lot of other huge data points, um, but we do use Salesforce as I said quite extensively, and we have with our brilliant marketing team now created some dashboards, which we're going to be using over the next three years to track the type of services we're selling, the how we're selling them, the pricing. Uh, one thing I have spent quite a lot of time on in the last in my time at Topwire is the pricing. So, in an in- industry which has been slipped by procurement into selling by the hour, um, we've been focusing more on the value we bring to clients. Um, and so, I spent quite a bit of of pricing around the world in the last four years as well to make a difference.
0: What? Uh, uh, just uh, curious about that journey. Um, to s- discover more about pricing, uh, can you just give us some thoughts on? for other CFOs out there who who are saying, you know, that's the root of our problem. What did you do exactly? Can you share any any point them in any one direction as to how to tackle that?
1: Yes, I think it's um I'm I'm a very client focused CFO, so I do actually uh, spend quite a bit of time talking to clients and on every, I often say I'm in charge of births, marriages and deaths at Hotswire so when the client arrives it meets me and when it leaves it usually does and well the marriage part maybe not so much but um, I think the, you know, I learn a lot from the front and the end on those and also from talking to clients we had quite a lot of clients who said i don't want all this information telling us where you've spent all the hours i just want to know what you've delivered Uh, i want deliverables outputs outcomes i don't want to know where you spent all the time Uh, and i think the one of the learnings for us also was to look at every office and strike higher minimum pricing so you know what's your get out of bed price and and look really hard at things around that and say actually no we're not going to operate at that level because the fixed cost of entry is is too much the other thing for us is 60 percent plus of our clients we work with them globally so one of the key things for us to balance is the budget in France might not be good enough compared to the budget in New York or Spain so how do you level that out across the organization and how do you keep everybody in your stakeholder group happy? So I think it's really, to your question, looking at the engaging with clients to understand. And and I think you could easily not do that and just assume that you know, but testing with clients, if we changed our pricing in this direction or testing with clients what they really want to know, what they're getting for their money um, has proven quite useful to me and to Hotwire.
0: Now, I'm curious about... um how your metrics or numbers influence the organization in some way. And it might be where you're speaking to senior managers across a conference room table where you share certain numbers with them and say, you know, we need to improve this or there's something that might be wrong here. It's interesting to discover how finance is making certain numbers visible to other parts of the organization or other parts of the workforce that in the past didn't have numbers made visible to them and in fact, it does influence their behavior. It can change dynamics at work in certain parts of the organization. Does any of this apply
1: to your world? Yes, yes, absolutely, Jack. I mean, if you came with me, and you're very welcome to come to the London office for a Monday morning meeting. And when you look up at the screen in that office, you will see the Salesforce dashboard of the pipeline for the business. And and so we are using that system and putting it front and center. Uh, We've got all our revenue forecasts in there and all of that client facing team see the system. They see the numbers. Um, One of our values at Hotwire is transparency. So, you know, we do not hide when numbers are not going well. We obviously celebrate them when they're when they're when they're good. But we're very I personally, too, I believe there's a great value in sharing the numbers in the organization. So everybody knows where they are. And I think putting the systems you're using in front of your. Um, colleagues and not keeping it in the finance team can be very powerful.
0: Now, you, did you, uh, it, you know, I would say, okay, that sounds like you're a champion of transparency. Do you feel comfortable with that title?
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's fun, it's, it's fundamental in, in Hotwire's DNA almost.
0: Was that, uh, and, and, and I don't want to take this too far, Adrian, but uh, you know certain finance leaders are telling us that they they have champion transparency in their organizations what you just described to me sounds like in back in 2016 there wasn't all this visibility and today there is maybe there was some maybe it was in the upper reaches of finance management and, and sales management no yes what would, how would you like what i'm characterizing
1: i think it's more jack that we when i joined salesforce was in the business and was not being widely used so i think it's far more that if you are using a system in your business and you are expecting the workforce to use it for the greater good then put it front and center and say look here it is show the benefits uh explain to you when i when i arrived if you want to characterize it our client teams were inputting numbers in excel and they were inputting numbers in salesforce and they said, "Great! We only need to put our numbers in Salesforce now. That's an efficiency. We understand. Uh, in a busy in a busy work schedule for them, going to one system improved the quality of the data and meant they only put it in once." So,
0: uh, and again, I'll I'll move on after this. But I just want to. Uh, it seems like uh, Salesforce really helped open this chapter of, let's just say, visibility, as it has with so many companies and firms. But it wasn't like there was this moment of uh, uh, a chapter where Adrian sat down with the CEO and they said, we need to be more transparent. We need to bring this forth. There wasn't a moment like that. This was just sort of the obvious path after Salesforce demonstrated its potential.
1: I think it's an obvious path within Hotwire, yes. I mean, it's not the, the culture here is tremendous and the ability to communicate openly and, and share th- that kind of work. And there's also, I, I would also say that the, when I arrived at Ottawa, the general level of financial competence in the in the people in the business was quite high. Um, a lot of people in the business are really interested in the numbers. They, they want to know how do we do this contract. They want to know they're interested in the over-servicing on accounts. And that helps as a finance professional because I had worked in other places where it was really hard to get people to engage on that. Uh, so I think it, that mixture of transparency, financial competence, means our workforce is is very engaged with with our financial performance in general.
0: We've been beginning to uh, speak to finance leaders about the workforce and about talent, um, and their lines of sight into uh, areas related to human capital. Um, This is sort of a a new chapter that we see uh, certain companies opening, certainly in large enterprise uh, finance, uh, perhaps has been studying this more uh, closely for years. More and more CFOs are telling us their people, uh, the company's workforce, is the company's most valuable asset. So we've begun to ask, how are you measuring that asset? I mean, is it employee attrition or parts of the workforce that might be compensated differently than other parts and why there needs to be a correction or a tweak. Is that something uh, you believe uh, you'll become more focused on or maybe are already focused on?
1: I think it's a focus. I mean, I think every company is looking internally at the moment about what they do in the future. I think the interesting thing at Hotwire, of course, is that I have everything from West Coast USA across Europe to Australia in the portfolio. And the labour laws across that diverse mix of countries are all very different. And we're seeing it at the moment in terms of looking at what we need to do in each country to go back to an office, what we need to do uh, with governments such as in Spain at the moment who are changing the rules for people working at home. So we're in a great transition period at the moment where nobody quite knows where we're headed. And with the different laws and structures around the world. One of the things at Hotwire, we have to be very agile and we have to listen to all those local countries as to what works best um, and sometimes defer, well, all the time defer to those local laws, but then also think, well, what's best for our positioning globally? Uh, And it's a balance we have to strike every single day. And to your point, I think it's possibly early. I mean, we are seeing some change in this, but I think it's too early yet because nothing settled down for people to begin thinking, how is this going to work? And, you know, we, we were already an agency that um, had a lot of people working from home. We were already using Zoom and Slack for the last four years. Uh, we were very well set up and had a lot of people working from home, um, thoughtful working, we call it, uh, already. So on some of this, we feel we were ahead of what was happening and we're well positioned to deal with any developments because we're quite agile in that area.
0: Okay. Uh, Interestingly, uh, what you've mentioned about Spain and people from working from home and how they're modifying perhaps laws in that area, we haven't asked you about the response uh, to COVID and the pandemic and and the economic fallout. Uh, Can you reflect a little on uh, how Hotwire has needed to um, respond to this type of environment, what it's done exactly?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I I think back, I woke up in my bedroom in a hotel in Paris in the first week of March, and we had just had a three day management meeting. And as I woke up, there were 10 text messages on my phone that all my US colleagues were already on the way to the airport as, as your president had commanded them home and from that moment on we 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 quite quickly realized we needed to take action and in our portfolio as as you've heard with all these different countries at different cycles we we took a management decision to send everybody home instantly and then I had a unique window on the world because we had countries at every stage of the virus we had Italy that was seven weeks ahead of the UK and every country in between and we we felt just taking the decision for our teams was the right thing to do so we said on this day you're all working from home home, we're not really bothered what's going on in your particular country, we're making that decision. We were very well set up. So we were already on Zoom for the last four years, we had Slack, we had laptops, everything was in the cloud. So for us, it was pretty seamless. The other thing that helped us was our ruthless focus on technology. That sector, we saw some fallout from clients close to the consumer, but largely we've had some clients who've had a very good crisis if they were close to home working or the technology required in that. And we've had others who've cut some budgets and we've had others who paused, but largely technology that, that really protected us. And I'm touching the wood as I talk to you. Um, it's a sector that that's withstood the, the storms relatively well. Uh, not pretending it, What there were some pen points along the way. Um, and so we found that the um, our people stayed hugely engaged. We had quizzes on Slack. We had lots of communities. Um, the main pen for us is we lost our boot camp, which is our annual event when we bring the whole company together. And actually we were planned to be in New York in July. So 300 people from wherever they were in the world. We had to put that online. Uh, but largely we're very pleased with how we responded and our teams were incredible. And when you think some of the countries such as Spain, um, Italy in particular had quite tough restrictions at times. And when you think of your quite, you know, young people working on a breakfast table um, and kept our clients service through that period, it's quite an extraordinary level of commitment.
0: Now you uh, ordinarily would operate out of Hotwire's London offices. Where are they in the city there in London?
1: Um, yes, yeah, quite close to the city.
0: Can I ask, over the last six months, uh, how frequently have you been in the office?
1: Once. So I I went, I went for one day, Jack, about three weeks ago, and it's the weirdest experience of my life. Um, I walked my usual route from London Bridge to the office. There is nobody on London Bridge, and normally it's absolutely packed. The Starbucks and the Pret-a-Manger are all open, but um, it was a very strange experience. And I think the... Um, our office in London will at the moment, we're, we're saying we'll open in January, but we've had some return to the office across Europe, um, but it's quite difficult for employers here to judge what to do. Um, and um, I, I really do, I'm also sitting, talking to you, not having seen any of my board colleagues in the flesh for the since Paris. So um, we're trying to meet in a couple of weeks if the rules allow. Uh, so it's really a very, very extraordinary period to, to reflect upon.
0: Curious to learn about your approach to forecasting and whether uh, scenario planning has become a a bona fide component of that. Uh, What would you what would you tell us?
1: Yes, well, we did some. Um, I mean, my my CEO, Barbara, is very visionary. I think she's about three years ahead of the rest of the world on most topics. And we, we, about this time last year, did some recession planning. So we said, you know, what would we do in different scenarios? So when this landed, we literally had on the shelf, and I just, you know, literally had them saved in my computer, a recession plan for each country. Now, as I've described in the event, we didn't really need to implement very much of that. We didn't really need to access... Many of the government schemes, and we did we did make some changes here and there, but pretty minor compared to many other many other industries. So, the the thing about our business, Jack, is that it's in any COVID or not, you can see about three months ahead. Uh, you do have some clients who will give you an annual budget and work with you, but um, you know, in general, our pipeline uh, visibility is about three months ahead, um, and so that hasn't changed really. I think the changes now are you know, big global pitches where you would have people flying in from all over the world and meeting in a, you know, we're actually seeing some evidence that business is being just handed, a, you know, without a pitch, just say, get on with it, because we haven't got the time or the, the focus to do that. And we're still beginning to see the impact of that flowing through. But generally, the forecasting visibility hasn't changed. And I think in this role, I'm constantly monitoring the global economies. I mean, I'm slightly worried about the US at the moment for all the multiple factors that that, that are going on over there. And um, some are political, but some are physical. You know, a lot of our people are breathing smoke on the West Coast, and that's quite upsetting. And having been through, all of our teams having been through a very tough six months, um, you know, that will impact on clients at some point. And um, uh, I don't, I, I'm, I remain cautiously optimistic that technology helps us. Visibility hasn't really changed, um, but we keep a close, we keep very close touch with our clients. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you. I, I threw a few extra questions at you, and we're finally up to what uh, we like to refer to as our finance strategic moment question. Adrian, this is where uh, it could have happened any time during the course of your career, but we're really looking for finance leaders to to reveal how it plays, finance plays a strategic role. So if there was one point in your your career where your lines of sight allowed you to see an opportunity or a risk, whatever it may have been. Can you share with us
1: a finance strategic moment? Yes, of course. Um, I mean, Barbara Bitts, my CEO, she didn't christen me, but I think she calls me the human CFO. And uh, let me define it for you. And it follows some other people in the past who, when I left organization said, um, or oh, you bring the human element to finance. So, I'm not the finance person who sits in the corner with the spreadsheet. I do. But I believe there's huge value in getting out there and getting involved in the business. And probably the best example I can give you is when I joined Burson Marsteller quite a long time ago, it was the first place I'd worked where I couldn't see or touch the product. So you know, I had worked in um, television, I had worked in newspapers, I could see that, I could touch it. But suddenly I was in a business where the product, if you like, was in a room between a client facing person and the client. And the strategic insight was that those two people were not really that interested in money and budgets, or rather, there were four other things they were more interested in, such as the idea, the creative, the creative point. And I knew I had to insert myself to make a difference. And the famous example I will give you is that I I started turning up at new business events. And in the early days, they said, what are you doing here? You're the finance director. And I said, well, I'm here to help you win business and after a while they accepted me and then i famously ended up sitting at an oval table one evening in london we had invited the chancellor of the exchequer so the second most important person in the government and there were 20 people around the table and there was adrian sitting in a seat and the person chairing the meeting said right we're going to go around the table and we're all going to say who we are what we do and what we want to talk to the chancellor about and It started on the opposite side of the table with, hello, I'm the chief executive of British Telecom, and hello, I'm the chief communication officer from Vodafone. And here was little Adrian, and it's coming closer to me. And when it got to me, I said, hello, I'm Adrian. The only reason I'm here is to pay the bill. And um, happily for me, the... I got a laugh and luckily for me to my left, the next person said, Adrian, I'm the chief executive of MasterCard in Europe. I hope you use the right card when you are paying the bill. Now, to his credit, Alistair Darling, the chancellor, came to me at the end and said, Adrian, thanks for paying the bill. But in that moment, I I really felt successful because I'd blagged myself to a really important dinner with the great and the good. And I wasn't just the finance guy in the corner. Um, I could make a difference. I could say things and get away with them that other people couldn't. And from there, really, I mean, I then spent a very client focused. So, um, you know, I spent a year leading the commercial team in BBH across all I did every day was clients and revenue. Today, I am um, exec sponsor on two of Hotwire's top 10 global clients. And I'm very humbled that my, you know, colleagues will trust me with the stewardship of those. Um, and so I think the, the sort of human CFO angle has from a finance point of view, if you throw yourself into the business, turn up where you're not meant to be, get involved, understand your products. Then for me, that has brought me personally huge benefit and it's benefited my team because I've, I find problems early. People know me, they come and talk to me, they, they tell me things, they trust me. Um, and as opposed to being the person in the corner with the spreadsheet, I think it's a great philosophy that served me very well. When we come back, CFO Adrian Tolbut enters
0: the mentoring round. Technology adoption, business partnership, strategic direction, resource optimization, and honestly, scalability, right? We are past the point in business of throwing people to solve problems, like, Let's take a five-second pause and RIP to that business strategy, right? <laughs> you can't just throw people to solve problems anymore. Hi, I'm Rowan Tonkin, your host at Being Planful. You just heard from Chris Ortega, a recent guest on the show. If you want to hear from guests like Chris talking about today's trends for tomorrow's F.B.N.A. leaders, you can subscribe at beingplanful.com
1: or wherever you get your
0: podcasts. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're with Adrian Tolbert, and we're entering the mentoring round. Adrian, when you uh, look back now, and we're looking sort of for that first finance leadership role that you stepped into, where all the uh, responsibilities of the finance function fell on you, if you had to go back in time and offer yourself some advice, what what would you tell yourself?
1: Yes, I think um, I think if you recall, Jack, I spent six years being an internal auditor, so auditing books and systems. And when I found myself as the finance director of Rapture Television, which was my first ever finance role, a channel on Sky in the UK dealing with free sports and clubbing, and I'm ready to post a journal, um, it was a totally different um, position to be in. And I think the transition from internal auditing to being a finance director for me probably the early mistake was I was auditing systems but I didn't really understand them because I hadn't come up a conventional you know start in a finance team and work your way up to finance director I'd gone straight in in the number one role Um, and so looking back if I'd spent more time on systems or the time I've spent since um, coming up to speed I think I would have felt a lot more confident and and um, probably progressed even further, but it's a, it's an interesting thing, but it was more a factor of my background.
0: Now we like to, uh, I, I should have said up front, we we asked these questions kind of uh, quickly, at least for me. Um, we like to ask if you, uh, and they're a bit uh, of a mix. Uh, so we'd like to have you uh, comment on the personal side somewhat here. And uh, we're looking for you to identify either a personal habit that you have or part of your daily routine that you believe in some way uh has helped you in some way on the professional side so this is something that you do personally
1: uh, uh anything come to mind yeah it's pretty simple jack music so i played piano from a very early age um my whole life in fact And um, for the last 10 plus years i've been singing in a big choral choir in london city of london choir and when you stand on the stage in the royal alberts hall and sing in front of five thousand people um, you gain a certain level of confidence when you have to stand up for the staff meeting or the internal presentation. And so um, that, that's given me confidence. And the second thing is that I've brought my music to work. So Hotwire allows you to bring your whole self to work. So I think I described earlier, we have an annual boot camp where we bring all our people in the world to one location. So three years ago, I said to Barbara, I'm going to start a band. So I did. I called it the Borderless Thinkers which is the way we like our people to think about their clients um, without borders. And I'm very proud I've recruited somebody in every country in the world. And it's slightly mad. Uh, We get together one day before boot camp. we rehearse in a studio for five hours, and then we play a two hour gig to our colleagues. Um, I have created rock stars of individuals around the world. Their colleagues see them in a different light, and it's contributed a huge amount to our culture.
0: Uh, Along the way, you reveal certain things to us uh, during our interview today. And one of them is uh, I I noted um, you've mentioned your CEO several times in a very positive respect. Um, You've achieved a a strong relationship there. It's clear. And I'm wondering if you can reflect a little bit on why it has worked. Um, Finance leaders sometimes struggle with this. And uh, you seem to have forged a, a strong relationship with your CEO. Can you share something with us on that?
1: Yes. I mean, I think I've, if I, I don't If know how many, if I added them up, Jack, I think I've probably worked with 12 or more different CEOs and you're absolutely spot on. The chemistry is absolutely crucial. Um, and one of the strengths about Barbara, and by the way, I'm not looking for a promotion if she's listening. <laughs> um, I, think, I,
0: I asked the um, question. I'm
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jack. Well, I think one of the fascinating things about Barbara Bates is she spent 25 years working in Silicon Valley and sold her business to Hotwire and then became global CEO. And she would freely admit that she had a lot to learn about the rest of the globe. And I was able to help her with some of that, um, given my experience around the world. And she was able to help me with learning more about, about the USA. I think the values Barbara has are simply that she lives the business, she's very transparent, and she is very direct, and you can be very direct with her. And when you can say to your boss, I don't like the way you did that, and you know you will get away with it. It's quite powerful in a leader uh, that she is so open and so transparent. Um, and that style has made her a very successful global CEO. And you know she's winning awards now for Hall of Fame and, and being called out in the industry. Uh, she also, as I said, is about four years ahead of everybody else. So when you're working for a visionary leader, Uh, I have often told many people just the first time she tells you something, you'll think, why the hell do you want to do that? But three years later, you will go, actually, she was right. And it's quite inspiring to be led by somebody like that.
0: Okay, Uh, I'm glad I asked. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders?
1: Yes, there's one book that that stuck in my mind when i read it it's called leading by alex ferguson written with michael moritz i think that's how you say it so alex was manchester united's manager for nearly 30 years and when he retired he became a professor at harvard Um, on leading teams and I thought I'd read the book and it was absolutely fascinating Um, I'm not particularly a massive football fan but if you read it in terms of management of teams some of the things he did were extraordinary you know the discipline the the way that he I think he missed three games in 30 years so as a leader he was always present um he dealt with some amazing personalities like ronaldo and rooney and others who were you know the bedrock of the team but some of his learnings around you know he used to visit footballers in their home before they were he he felt you you got a measure of the player by the time they're 11 years old so he would visit their families um I, I think it's a really interesting book if you're leading teams and leading to develop um i could highly recommend excellent that.
0: we haven't had it uh mentioned before so thank you we're always Glad to have a new uh, title. Uh, We're finally up to our last question where we ask you to look forward, Adrian, and share your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months.
1: Yes, I think we've already touched on it a little bit. I think the next 12 months for many businesses are interesting. I've described our visibility. So I think we continue at Hotwire, we we simply have been focusing relentlessly on the basics. So focusing on our margin and focusing on cash. And, And really, that seems really simple, but that's what we've done. You know, we were doing it anyway, but we've really focused on the simple things through this crisis. And as I said, we we'll, I'll be keeping a very close eye on the economies around the world. We'll be keeping a very close eye on clients because as we emerge from this, um, it, you know, who knows how things are going to develop. Um, and in my team, we are continuing our ruthless focus on consistency, on the way we use systems, processes, and how we measure the business. And I've described, we've just struck a new three-year plan for Hotwire, um, and we're looking really hard at Um, our value proposition to the market which we've completely redone Uh, and also you know i'm a key member of delivering that so more of the same almost jack but sticking to the basics adrian Tolbut, thank you for joining us on cfo thought leader thank you